the ungodly, he died for us. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right, I appreciate that. Help me out. Help me out. Well, it's been a it's been a fun morning. Uh, we are excited to be back in our building to be able to share with you and to see you in person. In light of all that's happening in our nation, we continue to move forward, and so we are now in our second week in our new series entitled "Forward." So we want to encourage you, welcome all those who are Facebook Live. We're excited that you are joining us this morning as we continue forward in our study in the book of Joshua. I especially enjoy this time of the year because it's football season. Um, for some of you that enjoy watching some playoffs and seeing especially the fact that my team is actually in it this year is an encouraging thing to be able to watch uh, football. So excited to be in this season uh, as we can go back home and watch a couple of more games today. Uh, even if your team didn't make it or lost yesterday, that's all right. There's always next year, right? Okay. All right. So, um, but you know, this morning I was able to share in our 9 a.m. service in a video that uh, displayed one of the Super Bowl, um, you know, catches of of all time, and it was just in recent years. For you Eagle fans out there, we saw what they called the Philly Special. And the Philly Special, that's right, and the Philly Special, even though I can't stand you Eagles, but all right, so okay. So, but the Philly Special is not a cheesesteak. Um, the Philly Special was a specific play just, just before the half in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Now, for you Washington no-name team, uh, you fans out there, you had some more people join you yesterday because there are people that just don't like Tom Brady. And so, for me, I was an Eagles fan that day because I don't like Tom Brady, not personally because I don't really know him, but I don't like him playing the game because he's always winning. Now I know how you feel about my Yankees. So, all of that to be said is that I look, I, I watch that video and for some of you that are frustrated as an Eagles fan with your coach, Doug Peterson, you need to go watch that video a couple of times and realize he actually played that, that play calling play was an amazing play because when Foles was over center calling out the play and he was calling for the center to give him the ball, he moved slowly to the right and no one was watching and the defense was kind of trying to figure out what he was doing. And then slowly they call hike and then right away, you get the running back who takes the ball, and then there's an end around to the wide receiver, and then the unlikely playmaker is in the end zone, and his name is Foles, Nick Foles. He's the quarterback, and he takes the, he, he receives the ball in the end zone from the pass, and then they go ahead just before the half. Here is the unlikely playmaker. Now, just prior to that, about 10 minutes 
prior to in the second quarter on the 12th minute, they tried to do that with Tom Brady, and thankfully Tom Brady went to go get the ball, and it flipped off of his fingers because the 43-year-old, or 40-year-old at the time, wasn't able to catch up with the ball. And gladly, we all cheered because we could not stand the fact that he would actually catch the ball and run for a touchdown. The whole idea is that each one of us have to look at our lives and realize that would God consider any one of us to be a playmaker? And in light of the book of Joshua, when we're thinking about how the structure goes in the book and how the Israelites were about to take over the land that God has given to them because they had a fight for the land that I mentioned last week, they're now entering in chapter 2 where now the spies are coming in to survey the land. And the unlikely playmaker is a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And so when we think about some of those things that are going on and we look at our lives, could God use us? And is it possible that God would choose someone that we would not likely choose as we would entitle the unlikely playmaker? If I look at my life and I would think, when someone asked me, what are you going to do with your life at 17 and 18 years old, I would have never told you or anyone else that I would have been a pastor because that was far, far from my mind. In fact, I thought of differently becoming a president of a company, owning my own company, making lots and lots of money. So that's what it was always in. I thought I would become that, and God had other plans. He decided to make me, as he should all of us, the unlikely playmaker. So as we look at what does it mean to be a playmaker, a playmaker is a, a player who controls the flow of a team's offensive play and is often involved in passing moves which leads to goals through their vision, technique, ball control, creativity, and passing ability. Let me tell you about another playmaker in Super Bowl history. Jim Plunkett in 1971 was a Heisman Trophy Award winner. You would think that most likely someone who would have the Heisman Trophy and win it would become a star in the NFL. However, there have been many over the history that have not become the stars that they expected them to become. For the first seven, eight years of his career, he was less than mediocre. And then after being both on the Patriots and then the 49ers not becoming very successful, he was traded to the Oakland Raiders, then called the Oakland Raiders. In 1980, he was a backup quarterback. And as he was a backup quarterback to Dan Pastorini, he, Dan Pastorini, five games in the season of 1980, broke his leg, and then they brought in the backup. And Jim Plunkett happened to be the man. Probably saying, well, the season's over, guys. It's Jim Plunkett. Well, whoop-dee-doo, he's coming in, right? But yet, this man was the unlikely playmaker because he led the Oakland Raiders to a Super Bowl win against, I'm sorry, the Eagles. And so you see all of that happening. Here was a man who was 72 and 72 in his NFL record, NFL record. He was 70th, and he still is 70th on passing NFL history with yards. He's not a very, very good quarterback when it comes to history, but yet he was used twice to take Oakland to the Super Bowl and win. He went to 1983 Super Bowl against the, I'm sorry, the Redskins, and I believe he beat them as well, 38 to 9, as he, they pummeled them. But here he was, the unlikely playmaker, moving forward, not thinking about his past, not thinking about what he never accomplished, but always believing that whenever he was in a situation, that he had a chance to still become something. 
and he proven that. He'll never be a Hall of Fame player, but yet he took the Oakland Raiders to two Super Bowls in a matter of three to four years. And so in most cases, you have to understand that we, what are we going to do? How are we going to say We're looking at this chapter in chapter two of Joshua, and as we're looking forward to this storyline, I would invite you to come and join with me in Joshua chapter two, Joshua chapter two, verse one through three. I'm just going to read that to you. It's not there on the screen or on the monitor. And it says this, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came in the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, the men of Israel come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho, verse 3, sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men whom have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. Now let's just see a couple of things here because you know, in verse 1, you have to appreciate, if you're a football fan or if anything you like, you like strategy and you like to look at things. And I, I recall of watching ESPN and seeing John Gruden, who now is the Las Vegas Raiders. It's really weird. I got to think in Oakland or Los Angeles, but it's Las Vegas Raiders. He's the head coach. And prior to taking that position, he would be on ESPN. He had his own show where he would take young quarterbacks from the college who were going to become NFL's prospects and potential players, and he would sit and strategize with them on a video. It was awesome to watch. There's so much theory in football that you can imagine because we just see the game. We see them huddle up, execute the play, go up to the scrimmage, see a play happen, and it's gone. But when you're looking on a board and the X's and the O's, and there's just so much involved, so much that the coaches, the head coaches, the conditioning coaches, they all have to take into consideration. So the theory behind it and the strategy behind it is phenomenal. It's fascinating. But you got to like the game in order to enjoy that. Well, here is a military strategy where the king of Jericho hears about two spies coming from the camp of Israel and knowing that their God wants to overcome this land. So there's strategy coming on. And the king of Jericho doesn't want to be blindsided. So he's saying, we've got to find out who these two suspects, these men are going into the lodge, where is where Rahab was. And the lodge was an area, yes, for prostitutes to hang, to not only just take care of people who want to sleep there, but also their needs. And so you have to see that what's going on here, and we'll see in this storyline, is that God seems to be allowing the king of Jericho to come in and for the Israelites to be in a very difficult position. And now for Rahab to be in a difficult position because now her life is on the line. Let me tell you something. The king of Jericho wasn't going to mess. If he found out that you were going to take in their spies, their opponents, their enemies, I gather he will have you killed for that. So here was the prostitute taking in these two spies. Now, as I mentioned with the spies that are here, why would God use a prostitute to hide his two spies? Would we consider this person to be a likely candidate for God to choose? Honestly, I would not consider a person like this today. I'm sorry. I can't imagine texting Joy and saying, hey, honey, we're safe. Everything's great. Hanging out at a prostitute's house. Uh, she's hiding from our enemies. We're just hiding from our enemies. Give a kiss to the kids. Tell them I love them. I can't imagine she's looking down the phone saying, uh, what in the world? Is this a hack? 
I mean, what's my husband saying? He's hanging out at a prostitute's house. But here's the thing. Who is God, who is the head coach, the game strategist, the playbook creator, and the play caller up to? And we know the story here in the 21st century. I know you can look back from the New Testament to the Old Testament. We can look at this. But what was God at that moment? What was he up to? Why would he consider Rahab? Well, let's just look at verse 4 at the first part of it. Because it says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. you got to understand, she had an alliance to her country, to her family, to her gods. Why in the world would she hide two spies of her enemies in her home? Maybe she didn't want to deal with the conflict, knowing that if the king of Jericho comes, that it would be a bloody mess right in front of her, and possibly that she would be put to death. So maybe she was just hiding them for the sake of conflict, just because she doesn't want to deal with it. Or maybe it's just because she just feels like, you know what, maybe I'll have some customers here. I mean, you know, you don't know, ultimately, when you're thinking in the mind of Rahab what could have been happening. But we understand when we look at this that it's far from that. That we can see that this potentially, could this be an act of faith? I mean, God was likely, the unlikely playmaker, a prostitute that God would use. And so what about us? Do we think God can use us? If God is potentially going to use a prostitute at this moment, what about us? We could comparably say, my life, I'm not leading as a prostitute, or I'm not deceiving anyone or creating anyone to sin or causing anyone to sin or creating sin around us. I think maybe I possibly could be used of God. But here, we have to ask the question, or many questions, what makes playmakers stand out above the others? How can each of us become playmakers of the Lord, for the Lord? What is required of a playmaker? So as we look at this, we just gotta, we gotta realize that the unlikely playmaker could be you and I. God could use any one of us at any time. So let's look at Rahab in this story and realize that we can become playmakers for the Lord. And how do we become playmakers? Well, we become playmakers for the Lord when we focus on God and not our past failures. Focus on God and not our past failures. Very simply, Rahab, there's something going on with God and Rahab. We see that she's that playmaker God's using right now, but there's something going on because, again, she's following the Canaanite gods, the Baal gods. She's got this commitment and allegiance to her family, and we'll see that in the storyline. But is it possible that maybe she could be saying right now, I'm not worthy of the Lord to be used of him, or I'm a harlot. I'm the lowest in society. Women despise me. Men only want one thing from me. She could have focused on her shame and her guilt and her bad choices of sin. Her identity could have been totally focused on her past failures and her past character. There was something going on in her. She could have just given in. And then she could have just said, listen, you guys here, hold on a second. I got to talk to a couple of guys. Hey, guys, they're in there. Go get them. She could have easily given them up. It would have been easier for her. The king of Jericho, they could have been on the same side. She could have given them up and everything would have been fine. But no, there's something going on. In fact, as we see in this passage, as she says that she's hiding from them, then it goes on even further and it says this. It says, and true, the men came to me. 
but I did not know where they were from. Is that the truth or a lie? Well, obviously, she's starting to lie. She's hiding them. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And I don't know where the men went. And then he goes, pursue them. Go after them. Quickly. Go, guys, go. For you will overtake them. She's trying to encourage them to get out of the house. They didn't kind of, they didn't figure it out. They didn't see the signs. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of the flax that she laid out in order on the roof. Now, you got to understand the makeup here, too. In the roof was the most secret hiding place of the home. The homes were closely together in the city. They were crowded in this small city. And here, at that point, she was laying them out just under the flax of the stalks of flax, and she was trying to make sure that they were hidden because when they talked, people could see on the roof sides what was going on. So she didn't want to see anyone else seeing these two men because then they would report them. So God made sure that he was hiding them so others would not look in. And so she was involved in making sure that they were protected. But what's going on in her mind? Because then it goes on, it says, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. And before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So we see that she's obviously lied. She's a prostitute and she's lying. They kind of come hand in hand. Because when you're living in deception and you don't have a standard, you begin to fall into this pattern of life where you're just, you're not telling the truth. And that becomes the truth. That becomes the standard. And so she's sitting here, but she's new. This whole new thing about the God of Israel is coming new in her mind. And I can recall that when I first came to Christ, it wasn't that I stopped lying all of a sudden and I stopped sinning. Because believe me, there was my first so many months that I was struggling in the Lord. That I still had habits, bad habits of sinning. And here's what Solomon even says about a woman who's a prostitute. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharped as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is the grave, known in the Old Testament as the place where you're totally separated from God's presence, like Gena, or they would say Gena in hell. And it's a separation, but her life, her life and how she's leading and her patterns and her choices were only leading to death because she was living in a pattern of sin. And it goes on to say in verse 6, and she does not ponder the path of life, life that's free. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So she didn't know it, because you know, you and I, when we lived in, before Christ, we didn't know we were living in sin. We didn't know. We didn't have a conviction. We didn't have those things that were, in fact, when I was first saved and all, I was living in my shame and my resentment and my guilt and my bad choices, and I didn't even know it. But then slowly when I got saved and I trusted in Christ, my shame and my guilt and my bad choices were exposed. And then confession, forgiveness, repentance continued. And God began a work in me that he continues still to this day, conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ. My first nine months were challenging because I was dealing with habitual sin, unaware of the gravity of it, making choices I shouldn't have as a Christian. 
but I had to learn to begin focusing on Christ and not my past failures. See, I couldn't move forward until I realized that God had forgiven me of my sin. I couldn't move forward until I had to learn to forgive myself. I couldn't move forward until I had to learn that it's okay to confess my sin and admit that I'm a sinner. All my life I was trying to defend myself, saying I'm okay, I'm all right, everything's good, everything's fine, putting up a facade, thinking that I wasn't a bad person. But ultimately, I realized something that God was saying to me, I needed to learn to confess my sin. But I got to tell you something, today the Christian can walk so around arrogantly because they think they don't have to. To confess their sin they put up a facade they put on the mask and they say all right i'll just cover up all my sin and god's saying no admit your past failures admit you're a sinner that's freedom that's when you'll know she didn't know she was living in sin but when we come to christ now we know we're sinners saved by grace but should we live like that yes we got to stop thinking that we could join the mob today all we're doing whenever we're going in our nation it's just unrest and uncertainty we're joining the mob when we're sitting there and we're going on Facebook and we're driving in and trying to make all these comments. We're joining the mob of the world. We have to be different in this world. We've got to confess our sin. We have to repent. We've got to show people around us that we're different, that we're not like everyone else, that God has changed us. And how can we ask God to move us forward when we're sitting in this world? We've got to move forward. This is a chance for us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Rahab could have sat in her shame and her guilt and all the bad choices in her past character, but she said, I'm moving forward and making the decision to choose God. Even if her life was at, at, at stake, even if she had, to, she had to be the risk taker. How many of us, we've got to start making a difference for the kingdom of God. We're not making a difference for the kingdom of God if we join the hate. Amen? You guys follow me? I mean, we're not going to join it. Because we're not making a difference. We've got to show forth the kingdom of God by being different. And that's what God's called us to do. This is what I love. Yes, she lied. God would never condone lying. For Jesus is the father of all lies. He condemns it. But what he seems to be doing in this passage is that he's commending her faith. Look with me in Proverbs 12, 22. It says this. Solomon said, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. See, he looked to her step of faith to trust him and not focus on her past failures, but to move forward. In other words, let me just say it this way. In order to move the chains forward, focus on the next play, not the former one. You know, the Rams won yesterday, and my son's probably going to beat me up later for saying it again, like he had to hear it in the 9 a.m., because my son is a Seahawks fan. But what happened was Chriselle and I are jumping up and down. Woohoo! right? You guys can care less. But here's the thing. The Rams lost to the Jets, the worst team in the league, 0-13. And if they focused on that game and said how terrible they were in that game, they wouldn't have been able to win the game yesterday. They decided, let that game go away. we got to focus on the next game. And that's what we're saying. we got to move forward. We got to make a difference. We got to start moving forward and going on to the next plane. In other words, when we drive, we look through the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. We got to work and look through the windshield. Number two, we become playmakers for the Lord when we are fearless, fearing God and not man. Fearless, fearing God and not man. Remember, just going back to this passage again, she could have easily just given in. She could have easily just said, you know what, take them, boys. They're here. They're yours. But she was fearless. She didn't live in her fear. She didn't live in there consumed. 
She didn't live in there thinking that, what do I do? I just don't want them to take me away. Let me just not have this headache or this problem. There was something in her. She was a risk taker, willing to put her life on the line for the kingdom of God. She was willing to do it. She did it. You might think, well, wait a minute. She's a prostitute, a Canaanite prostitute. But God used her as a playmaker. God still used her to carry on the promise. If she had given in and let the guys in and just live in her fear and saying, I don't want to deal with this anymore, the promise would have never moved forward. God allowed this because he offered them the promised land, and the promised land was to keep that promise to go forward for the military conquest. And here, she wouldn't allow that. She didn't care if it was the easy way out to just give in to these guys. She didn't care about dealing with the problem of that. She didn't care about the conflict or the difficult people. She said, you know what? Forget the problem-free life. I'm going to live on the edge, and I'm going to go forward and believe God in this. And that's what God's calling each one of us, to believe God to move forward. Here's another thing. Sometimes, like, when we look at football, we like strategy or we like the strategy of life. And sometimes we, we struggle with the way things are going in our lives, the way that things are happening right now. We don't know what's going to be in front of us. We don't know what's before us. We don't know what the church is going to look like. We don't know what our lives are going to be like. We don't know what the nation's going to be like. And sometimes we try to figure out what God's going to do next, kind of like playing chess or whatever. We're trying to figure out God's next moves. Now, that sometimes we enjoy that because that's strategic. We like to see what God is doing next. What is God going to do with my life, the life of others? But sometimes when we get caught up, we overanalyze the next steps. We overanalyze the future. Kind of like the coach up there in the box who's the offensive coordinator and trying to overanalyze the game or the coach who's overanalyzing the game instead of saying, hey, you know what? We messed up on that play. Let's keep moving with the playbook and the plays. This is what we've practiced. Let's keep moving forward. And I think with us, we got to stop overanalyzing it. We got to stop trying to figure out what God's going to do next and go back to the playbook, spend time with the play caller, and just execute the play. That's what we need to do. We just need to be fearless. We need to get to the line of scrimmage. We need to get in our position, and we need to play. We got to stop overanalyzing every step. And when we do that, we're not focused on every little step. We're focused on one person, the play caller, God. And that's what she did. She was doing that. She was focusing on God. That's why in this passage, she made sure to, to, to move forward and to hide these men. And number three, when we become playmakers for the Lord, when we do, we become playmakers for the Lord when we believe the facts and not feelings. Believe the facts and not feelings. So now we're at verse eight. And before the men lay down, she came up to them to the roof in a, in a hiding place. And here's what she said. She said, she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. This wasn't feelings. This was a fact. Let me tell you why it's a fact. That word know there in the Hebrew means a personal relationship. She knew the God of Israel at that point. This is where she came to true faith. Something was happening in verse 1 and 2. Prior to the spies coming, God was speaking to her and she was listening. Because to make that declarative statement is saying that she knew. In the Hebrew, that's a perfect tense. That means it's an absolute. She knew that this so-called the God of Israel was her God now. 
The word Lord there is Yahweh. That's personal, self-existing, I am God. She's saying, I know that he is the Lord, that the Lord, the Lord has given you this land, that he's given you this promise. In fact, I am now an Israelite. That's what she's saying. I am a child of God because I have trusted in the God of Israel. I am no longer following the God of the Canaanites, my gods. I'm not following my people. I'm not following my king. I have refuted to follow them. Now I'm following God. She's not looking to Rome. She's not looking to the government. She's not looking to the false gods around her. She's looking to the Lord, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created the heavens and the earth and who has come to us in the form and the likeness of man. His name is Jesus. And so she goes, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And what happened? The fear, meaning we have been convicted. There's been a feeling. God uses feelings, but he doesn't want us to be based on feelings. So whenever we feel something, we have to be careful. We don't say, well, I feel like God's doing this. Well, how, well why, why are you basing it on feelings? What do you mean God's doing that? What do you know about God? Well, I know that God's out to get me. No, 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 God's not out to get you. God loves you. God has a plan for you. You're his child. He, he, he has a purpose for you. What's his purpose? To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, what does he want us to do as a church? To make disciples. And then who is this God? He's a God who's God is just. He's righteous. He's holy. He's immutable. That's what we have to hold on to. He's a God who is a constant. He'll never, and he's a promise-keeping God. That's what we have to hold on to. And that's why she was convicted. That's why the people around them were convicted. And then in verse 10, here are the facts. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. I mean, everybody heard it. Facebook, Instagram, CNN, MSNBC, Newsmax, Fox News, everyone. Just in now, Red Sea is just parted. I mean, like they heard it. They heard millions of people are walking across the Red Sea. I mean, like you got to think about it. They heard, they saw, they understood because the word heard is in the perfect tense. They knew it. They were convinced of it. You can hear the news, but be convinced of it. We hear a lot of news today, but I don't know how many of us are convinced of it. There's not much to be convinced of. It's a lot of rhetoric. But here, God, when he speaks and there's news about what he's done, it's an absolute. It's a guarantee. And he goes on, he says, and what, did you, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sidon and Og. That's in Numbers 21, 21 through 35. And he goes on to say this. He goes, whom you devoted to destruction. God didn't mess. If you sinned against God, God removed you. He's a God who cares and loves, but he's a God who's going to keep us accountable. And in verse 11, he says, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of heavens above and on the earth beneath. The word melted means to weaken, conviction, surrender, humility. Saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I have no strength. You know, she made a comment here that would confirm her salvation. Listen to this. She said, for the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Two other people said that in the Old Testament. Moses and Solomon. She's in good company. Because you got to understand, God is at work in this unlikely playmaker. A prostitute. A Canaanite prostitute. And here God wanted to use her 
how much more for us? How much more do God want to use us in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our marriages, with our children, at our jobs, with family members who we don't like? I mean, God wants to, yes, God even wants to use you with an enemy. Someone you can say, I don't like that person. God wants to use you and I. He wants to use us so that we can make a difference. So we can stand out. So we don't join the mob of this world. Don't join the mob. Let me remind you, Christian, don't join the mob. Make a difference. Let them see something different in you and I. Don't join it. We got to remind ourselves. See, when we place our faith in the play caller, God, his playbook, the scriptures, and his plays, which he offers to us to show that each day we are playing, executing each day, no matter how difficult the game, we will ultimately win. We will ultimately win. Look at this last part of this passage here. And now then, please, Rahab says to the two spies, please swear to me by the Lord. Let me just stop there and say this. The word swearing an oath in the Old Testament was of importance. I love what this net Bible note says. It says, to swear an oath in the Lord's name would make the Lord the witness and the guarantor of the promise attached to the oath. If the person making the oath should go back on the promise, the Lord would judge him for breaking the contract. Now, how does this work? Well, she wanted to make an oath to the two spies, and she goes on to say this, you will also deal with kindly with my father's house. Just as I have dealt kindly with you, deal with my father's house and give me a sure sign and that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and my sisters. And it goes on and she says, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So pretty much saying, God, I'm going to put it all on the table. Please save my family and everyone involved there. Please, Lord, I've been kindly, dealt kindly with you. Please deal kindly with me. And the men said to her, our, our life for yours even to death. What a statement. If you do not tell this business of ours, meaning if you keep your part of the oath, then when the Lord gives the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I love what the NET says, allegiance, unswerving allegiance. She, three times in this passage here in 12 through 14, hesed, 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 the word kindly. I would even say an allegiance. They were, they were saying God has a loyal covenant love for his people. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. And God's saying if you're going to make a promise or an oath, you want to keep it. And that's important. Because did he, did God keep his part as well as she did? Well, they had to go off into, into the mountains. She said, go off into the mountains. He said, okay. The spies said, tie a rope there by your opening here. They went off to the mountains. Spies were coming back. And then what do we find out? Did God deliver them? Yes. We see that in Joshua 6, 17. And the city and all that was within it, it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. The battle of Jericho. But. Only Rahab, the prostitute, all who were with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Wow, what an awesome story of God's deliverance. The unlikely playmaker, trusting God, focusing on God and not her past failures, being fearless, keeping with the facts and not the feelings, staying focused on God and his facts. 
becoming a believer in the God of Israel, becoming an Israelite of that time, a child of God. And she swore an oath, and God honored the oath. But what's even amazing is that Hebrews 11, the the chapter of faith, mentions her. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Or James 2.25, where James makes mention of her about faith and works and her faith. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? This was her faith. But then the creme a la creme. She's in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. I got a smile on my face. God is a God of grace. I would have never picked this person to be a playmaker. I got to tell you, today we as Christians, we don't pick these types of people. We don't see what God can do in the life of a sinner. We're so focused on ourselves. We're so focused on what we are going to do. We forget that God is in the business to save sinners. And God is in the business for us to love our enemies. And guess what? If you have any thoughts of just any kind of thoughts of hatred towards someone you would call an enemy, I challenge you as a Christian, get before the Lord and ask him to remove that in the name of Jesus. He's not called you to that. And don't join the mob on Facebook. Don't join the mob on social media. Don't believe the hype. Trust the Lord. Let him use you. You and I are not going to make a difference. We can fight. You know what our greatest weapon is? Pastor Dennis mentioned to it earlier. You know what our greatest weapon is? We and I have been talking. Prayer. That's our greatest weapon. We must pray. You want to fight? You want to fight? Fight in prayer. The Christian has that great tool that you and I can use. Because that's where God wants to use us as his true playmaker. He wants to use us as his recipients of grace. He wants to use us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So, can you be a playmaker for God? Pray that you will take that stance before the Lord. Before we have our presentation, don't, don't click off yet. <laughs> before we're going to have our presentation of our six out of the seven that are here uh, for our new members and Pastor Dennis will be coming up. I just want to encourage you um, to be thinking about being a playmaker today. Let me, let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for this story. Thank you for Rahab. Thank you for choosing Rahab. What a great story of grace. Lord, thank you for choosing this person, this woman, who was the unlikely playmaker. I would have never chosen her, but she was willing to trust you She was willing to trust the play caller. She was willing to trust the playbook. She was willing to trust your play, Lord, when you called it in. And she executed it well. God, thank you for giving her that opportunity. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to encourage us to be used of you. Let us not look into our past failures or think we're not good enough. Help us to be that playmaker for you, to bring honor and glory and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we encourage you, Pastor